Hi, this is Carrie Ann Reed Brown, and this is Carry On Friends, the Caribbean American podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Carry On Friends, the Caribbean American podcast. I am excited because I have Marlon Hill as my guest today on the show. Marlon, welcome to the show. How are you? Pleasant, pleasant. Great to be here. Keep calm and carry on. Yes, yes, absolutely. So Marlon, for anyone who's not familiar with who you are, tell a little bit about yourself, Island you represent, and every, you know, who's Marlon Hill? Who's Marlon Hill? What is Marlon Hill's story? Um, what represents the land of wood and water, 4,411 square miles of beauty and brilliance. Yes. Exported to the shores of Miami-Dade County in the United States of America in 1985 and um, finished up high school here after leaving St. George's College um, at the beginning of Fort Farm and um, went on to school at Florida State University and studied international business and finance and minored in Spanish and stayed at Florida State as a double no for law school and then came back to Miami to start you know, charting my path as a, as a business lawyer. Um, pretty much summarizes Marlon. I went to school in Barbados for a little bit, went to school in Costa Rica for a little bit, and, um, but I'm um, firmly rooted in the 305-786 era code in Miami-Dade County, which is otherwise sometimes known as Kingston 21. <laughs> now, that is a really great introduction. And, you know, I told someone that, hey, I'm going to have Marlon Hill on the show. You know, any questions you have for him? And, you know, one question came up was, well, you've told a little bit of your personal story in general. But, you know, the one thing that I know from seeing you on social media, you're very active in the community in Florida, the Caribbean American community. And you are also now running for an office in the Miami-Dade area. So, you know, talk a little bit about your involvement in the Caribbean American community there, why, and a little bit about, you know, you running for office, because I have some follow-up questions around, you know, your identity and how much that plays into what you've been doing personally, professionally, and now as you engage in public service? You know, my, my involvement in the community is not something that was a yesterday kind of thing, right? You know, I really learned quite a bit from the Jesuits at St. George's College um, on North Street. I mean, the, the tradition of servant leadership is something that is, has been embedded um, in my, in my my life and what, what I do for, for a very long time. You know, so from, so from when I left St. George's and came to the United States, being Catholic and being part of the Jesuit tradition at George's and doing everything for the greater glory of God is, is always at the center of everything that I do. So anything that I did in high school, being involved with any activities in the high school, going to Florida State and being involved with the Caribbean Students Association and then continuing to mentor college students of Caribbean descent, and then coming back to Miami and making a contribution there in a number of um, issues like um, immigrant advocacy, we're helping new immigrants to assimilate to the United States and um, helping um, Caribbean businesses to, to um, find resources out in the community. It has always been part of my DNA. So it's, you know, this whole idea um, this recent idea of me running for the Miami-Dade County Commission um, in, in 2020 
is, is just a bigger platform for what I've already been doing. Mm-hmm. I was a teenager, right? You know, so when it comes to making a decision as to how you are going to make a personal contribution to where you live, it's really just all about doing you and, and being passionate about the things that you care about and just making the decision to leave the boundaries of what you do from the, from the nine to five and making a contribution. It's really that simple. Mm. I love it. I love it. And I, I totally identify with, you know, growing up and this, this um, mindset of community and giving back is something that was deeply rooted when I went to church and, you know, you had to volunteer and, you know, I went to a Catholic girl's school in Jamaica, Montego Bay, Mount Alvernia. So a lot of how we were schooled was not only on academics, but, you know, what are you doing to enrich your community, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, you wrote a really great article in Caribbean National Weekly about the time for Caribbean Americans to pursue opportunities in public service. And I'll share that article, but you mentioned that we've assimilated, um, acclimated, assimilated, and it's now time for us to integrate. Can Mm -hmm. you... Can you explain that breakdown? Why, you know, what's acclimation, assimilation, and why not integration? And yeah. then go into another big thing that's looming in the next. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, every, every immigrant family or any immigrant, we go through those three stages, right? So whether you came here, whether your family came here in the 60s as students at, at um, you know, Howard University or wherever they went to school or they came here, as a laborer in the farm fields or the cane fields, um, or they came here as a nurse or, or, or even just with a family member. We all go through that phase of just trying to get used to living in Brooklyn or living in Atlanta or, or living in Miami, trying to get familiarized with the neighborhood and you know, how do you take public transportation? Um, where do you look for a job? Um, these are things that relate to being acclimated to, to, the, to the new environment, right? So you mm-hmm. all go through this, that those um, the sweaty palms and the, and the nervousness of um, the job interview and getting used to living in America. That's acclimation, right? Mm-hmm. Assimilation has to do with when we start to um, join a church or um, participating in, in the, the, the parent teachers as um, parent um, teacher students association or or we we um, join a social um, a social group you know we're you know, becoming part of the community that we live in that, that's assimilating mm-hmm. integrating now is is the real final phase where we, we 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 we're doing things that that involve leadership opportunities that that involve maybe even buying a home um, permanently in a, in a community it could involve us, um, you know, taking on a new job in terms of a leadership opportunity in a new job, it could mean uh, playing a role um, on a on a nonprofit board, you know, chairing the board or being a member of the board. Those are those are integration integration decisions where we now become um, a meaningful part of the fabric of the community that we live in, and it's it's important for us to un- understand what phase we are in those three stages because it, it could determine the kind of support that you need. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That you need the relationships that you need, um, and if we can help each other to successfully get through those phases, 
we can have a more meaningful impact on America, right? You know, so um, not all of us have the support that we, when my mom came here in 1985, 1984, they're about, she didn't know anything about what school and where to go. I mean, she was just, you know, making her way through the best way she knew how. But what if she had a, a, a more um, visible support system ready to help plug her in and to mm-hmm. help her access resources? Then she would have helped with my, my own acclimation, my own assimilation. Yeah. That yeah. cycle is so important for us as a community to pay attention to how we develop that type of emotional, moral, um, supportive infrastructure to be, to be successful in this land of land of dreams. Yeah. I, th- that resonates with me so well because, you know, I always tell everyone my immigration story is a slightly unique one. I don't, well, I wouldn't say unique. I don't hear a lot of it. And my mom and myself, so my mom and all her kids came to America all at the same time. There was no her coming and then sending for us. So she was trying to do just that, you know, figure out how to acclimate and assimilate the same time all of her, you know, four kids were trying to do the same thing. And it was, it was very challenging. And, you know, I, I, I know the value of what a community, I think it was, you know, Faye, who is almost like an aunt who grew up with us, who's been here longer. You know, you have that one person from back home who know the ropes and will carry you around. But while she supported my mom, there was this gap where, you know, you have kids ranging from teenager to preteen to a baby trying to figure out like, oh, we can't go outside and play like we used to. So how much that impacts us. And, you know, when I came here, I will, I was at the cusp of starting to apply for college. And, you know, you come from Jamaica and say, oh, I don't want to trust nothing that student loans and, you know, making decisions around school because understanding the the labyrinth that is you know applying to college and what's financial aid and what that looks like so i think that is a very critical you know point and an, still an opportunity um for within the caribbean community to have like organizations or networks to support um acclimation and it, it to a certain extent assimilation so yes, there needs to be a process you know you know even before you leave Jamaica or you leave the Caribbean island or, or whatever island that you're from or whatever country that you may be from, right? Before you leave, you really need to have a, a plan or um, access to certain relationships that are going to help you get settled before you even get off the plane. Yeah. Yeah, you kind of you make that connection before you even get here and not wait. It's almost like... You know, we hear a lot about these carnival concierge where the planning is done before you even get to the country. It's almost like an immigration concierge of sorts where you're kind of helping being supportive even before you get here because the level of anxiety before Mm -hmm. you even get here is, um, you know, something that, you know, mental support is is critical. Absolutely. There, There may be even an opportunity there for some sort of social entrepreneurship organization to create something like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love it. I, I, I really love it. So then now you said something about meaningful impact. So as a Caribbean American, you know, we, we know that we have people who've made meaningful impact to the U.S. and, you know, American history. But, you know, in what way do you think we can make a more meaningful impact in America? It is important for every, every person, every Caribbean American, person of Caribbean descent, 
to recognize that you have value, you have um, purpose, you have, um, and you have the power to make impact. But just by yourself, your one, your one person of existence could could um, could move the needle on a number of issues just based on where you stand. Right, um, that impact is based on the decisions and the actions that you make. So to recognize, to have that self-awareness that you do have the power to make that impact, right? So if you are a single mother um, from Barbados, you have two kids, um, you're trying to juggle the jobs, pay the bills, um, you may feel lost, you may feel helpless, you may even feel powerless, but in fact, you still have the power to make decisions on what you're going to do that's best for your family, how, how to evolve with your your kid's school? Um, are you in touch with your, the elected officials of your city or your county and your state? Are you articulating what your needs are to them? Um, are you involved with um, a organization that may be associated with your church or your place of worship? You have to kind of proactively seek out within reach the things that are not outside of your schedule that would would that would burden you with time, but is within your lane of your lifestyle. You got you got to see. Okay, what can I do that I love doing? It's it's in line with my interests, in my in line with my values. It's in line with um, the needs of my family. And you kind of seek out um, those resources that are near to you in your local community. Right? You have to have you have to think strategically as to how how is it that you are going to um, utilize the talents that you have to support things that are related to the community that you live in, right? And you have to wait on an organization to, to create the opportunity for you. You have to, you have to insert yourself to, into the equation of your community. That's my point. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't wait on an organization or depend on our item. Like, oh, they have organization that can do that. It really no, starts no, with you us. You have to insert yourself into that equation, into that organization. I'm not, and I'm not saying that you have to lead or run things, you know. I'm just saying that you, you have to participate. You have to go and ask questions. You have to go and see what's available to you. And, and if, in fact, you do end up having um, more than just a physical presence, uh, but you also have a leadership role, then your impact changes depending on what your capacity and your ability is. Mm -hmm. But you can't just sit down twiddling your thumbs hoping that the community is going, to, is going to come knocking at your doorsteps and say, what can we do for you today? Mm, yeah, yeah, that's not going to happen. So this, so this leads me to the question around the census and, you know, the, the question are, are around identifying, you know, country of heritage. Um, but before I get into it, maybe you can best articulate the issue around the census and the question that allows us to identify our country of heritage and what do you think the significance or the impact of that question will be for you know states like florida new york you know massachusetts um or you know states where there's a high caribbean um population and what does that mean in terms of resources mm -hmm. the census the census is a very important part of our constitutional process it's written in the constitution you may have to conduct a census every 10 years the census tries to conduct a headcount of every single person that's within the country, irrespective of um, their citizenship, you know, that, which is a question that is being widely debated right now. But 
it's a head count of every single person that is located within a particular um, municipality or county or state. And it's important because it, it, it um, drives how um, political boundaries are, are, are written, right? Because you remember um, each member of Congress represents a certain number of people equally, right? Mm -hmm. The population changes in a particular city. Um, there may be a requirement for more than one congressional representative to be assigned to that particular particular location because of change in population, yeah. um, because the boundaries change. So that's important. Um, it's also important to determine how federal dollars are allocated for the resources that we need, you know, the roads, um, issues regards to social services. Um, schools. Schools, and a whole list of other ways in which the budget is parsed out is based on the numbers related to the census. So it's very important. The last one is in, was in 2010, um, and the census draws on a number of, um, if you go to uscensus.gov, you can get lots of great marketing information on, on the zip code or the, the census area where you live. You, know, you can find out how many families, male, female, the ages of people, socioeconomic status, do they own, or own a home, do they rent a home? You can find out their, their, um, their heritage. Um, you, can, you may have persons who, who are a particular race, um, background, you can find out the percentage of people in where you live. So that you can, if you are starting a business, you can, you can target your messaging based on what you think those demographics are or what they, you can make certain inferences on that. All right, so I will, I will mark the census um, African-American black, but I also write in Jamaican because I think it's important. The census doesn't have a category for Jamaican or a category for um, Trinidadian or, or St. Lucian. Mm -hmm. But may, you may be Asian-American, but have no connection to China or Taiwan. Mm. You may have to write in Trinidad and Tobago, or you may have to write in Suriname, right? Because your, your racial heritage is, is important to you. Or you may be multicultural and you self-identify you self your racial heritage. But the nationality is key, mm -hmm. in my opinion, because um, if, if a congressional person just sees that there's 100,000 Black people in Brooklyn, what types of Black people? Are right. Nigeria, are they from Jamaica? Because that may be important in how you shape policy as it relates to foreign policy for that country. It may shape how you communicate or where do you communicate? Mm -hmm. What station would you go to? So this census process is so important in terms of, um, one, claiming your, your existence. If you're not counted, then you don't exist in the budget. Mm. You exist in the political representation. So you've got to make sure that you're, you're, you raise your hand and say, hey, I'm here, whatever your status is, and um, self-identify in terms of who you are to make sure that when Congress starts making these types of decisions on boundaries and um, allocating dollars, that you will get your fair share of representation. I think that's an important point because a lot of times, you know, being in the digital space, we find that it's very hard for us to target certain messages to the Caribbean community because we're lumped in with African-American. And, you know, like if you try to run Facebook ads, you can't target Caribbean people in a particular state because there's no, you know, designation or opportunity to, to do that. And, and I think that's inherent in how um, the demographics are captured. And I think it's very hard to really reach people if, you know, you don't have a set of data or you don't have 
place to go or like you said, looking at zip codes and seeing mm -hmm. where people are. So I think the census is important. And I think the concerns around the census we'll, we'll address in a, another episode has to do with the the fear around this administration, around immigrants, and whether they even want to complete it to bring attention to themselves. Which yeah, I, th I think it's very important for folks to know, Karen, that um, that whatever your immigration status is, you need to stand up and to be counted, right? Your, your immigrant immigration status and the situation surrounding your your life of acclimation and assimilation will sort itself out, <laughs> whether voluntarily or involuntarily, right? We can't change the reality of the um, where the direction you may be going in, right? Because we are either trying to sort it out or we are we're planning it out, right? Mm -hmm. It's important for all our families, whether they're here or in the particular country that they may be from. Immigration is not something that you wake up and decide, this is what I'm going to do for my family, with my family. You have to plan it out. Yes. <laughs> the kids are finishing up high school in Jamaica. Um, and a job opportunity that comes up or the visa comes current, are you going to allow them to finish high school in Jamaica and go to college in Jamaica? Or are you going to plan for them to go to college in the United States or overseas? Are you going to take advantage of the fact now that the visa is current? Um, you have to plan it out. I don't think many of our families, um, is, is your integration plan. It's like you plan your business. You have to plan how your family is going to stay together and, uh, and succeed together. Mm -hmm. Um, you can't just wake up next year and decide, okay, let me, we're going to move now. You, you really need to start thinking about when you're going to move, how you're going to move, where you're going to move, what are you going to do when you get there? Who are, what is that? Is it a city or is it a, is it a county? What state is it? You have to start getting yourself acclimated even before you arrive. Yeah. Who you're going to stay with, how long you're going to stay with that person before you have to find someplace else to live. And unfortunately, many of, our fam many of our people that I know are, are being re reactive in how they, they get settled um, in, this, in this new immigrant life, right? And we have to do a better job of, um, of planning things out and, and, and solidifying a support system. Because the, when you don't plan it out, people get into trouble. Yeah. They get into trouble financially. It could be issues with the landlord, tenant. It could be issues with, with the law, the cutting corners. And then it takes so much energy, resources, and heartache to unravel when we're cutting corners. Mm. Issues with family, your, your family relationships, and yeah. you know the children or whoever you know you observe, and you know, uh, you know again, acclimation. Like you said, it's planning because it, I mean, you you when you're in it, you know you're in it. Because like my mom waited until I finished third form before she said, "Okay, we'll move." But you know, she was approved way before that, so mm -hmm. she. He had to plan and make a decision like, no, I won't let drag her out in the middle of the year. Right. Finish the year so she can't start school in America. And then, right. you know, as you know, or probably experience when you come to America, you know, you belong in fourth form and they're like, no, we're going to put you back to this. Exactly. That's exactly what happened to me. My, my mom I was a year younger than everybody else. I didn't have my transcript. And they said, they're going to put me back. And she said, if you put him back, I'm going to take him straight back. People said, no, 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 no. That's the same thing we I did. I was like, I, but it was more pride. I'm like, no, all my friends are going in 10th grade. I'm not going back in the ninth grade. Mm -hmm. and so I, I was on them, not my mom, but I was on them. You know, my mom 
I she did the best she could. She focused on the younger kids. So me being the teenager just really fought to make sure that I wasn't put back. And those are, you know, mm-hmm. those things affect a child psychologically, emotionally, because they left mm-hmm. Jamaica with their friends in this grade and they're being left back or put back into a lower grade and mm-hmm. understanding American math versus how you do math. And I think mm-hmm. one of one of my culture shock was the way the kids spoke to the teachers. And I was looking like Oh boy, this well different. I, I stood up to answer teacher and the kids were laughing. And the te- teacher walked in the room, you stood up and everybody yeah. else sitting down looking like, what is wrong with you? What are you doing? What are you doing? Who are you? This alien. Um, but for my friend, um, Michelle, who, who became my future law partner, she was born in Brooklyn, but of Jamaican descent. She, she was the one that stood up for me and reprimanded the other kids that were laughing at me and teasing me. So times at that time where you know kids can be unforgiving but you know you go through that process and you learn and figure out your way yeah so one of the things that so i had a question um that i'll probably read it's like it says your your being of caribbean heritage is the main focus on your candidate profile and would it have been would would you have chosen that if you were in a different state? And and the reason why the person is asking this question is, you know, there are a lot of candidates that run in other states, but they barely ever mentioned where they were born or if ever just kind of barely mentioned that they're an immigrant. So um I think that's that's I think that's so this disingenuous and inauthentic. I don't care what state I am, it could be Moko. I would <laughs> I would be planet Moko, I would be saying that I was born in Jamaica. And I grew up in the United States and I grew up in this community. You got you have to be you. You have to be authentically you. Yeah, and, and what 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 would it say to the to other people if, if I did not say exactly who I was and what my background is? You know, my experience is my experience. I am I came here at 40, I'm of Jamaican descent. Um, if you can't understand it from from the lilt in my voice, um, you can't. The food that I eat, the music that I like, the things that you see me involved in, there's no way that I can run away from not being of Caribbean descent. It's just, it is, it is part of my DNA. Um, and it's certainly not something that I would ever consider not disclosing. I think it's an important part of, of how I view things, my perspective, my worldview, yeah. how I look at others, um, how I treat others, my value system has everything to do with my my upbringing and my heritage and and coming from Jamaica, it it is inextricably a part of who I am as an American. No, you everything that you say, you know, we understand, and you know, everybody's listening is going to be like, yes, yes, yes. But you know, I have friends who are part of groups. So you know, I had a friend, I have a friend who is part of a group, and they posted in this group that you know, there's a small scholarship available for a high school student of Caribbean heritage. And the chat in the group went very quickly from, you know, why scholarship specifically for someone of Caribbean descent? Yeah, why should the scholarship exist? And you know, um, you know, Caribbean people are black and they come here and are reaping the benefits on the 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 backs of their ancestors. I I saw the comments and it was really aggressive, and mm-hmm. especially when you are involved in politics, there is this thing about identity politics and why why do Caribbean people feel the need to identify as more than black. And to your point, if I don't say I'm 
Jamaican or I was born in Jamaica, I'm basically denying everything about the essence of who I am, because like you said, it's, it has everything to do with my identity. And so the question is first, so walking down the street, absolutely. I'm a, I look like a black woman. I do. But the way that I raise my children, the way I, like you said, I view the world, the way I move through the world, the confidence by which I move through the world is, is, is colored by my experience born in Jamaica, being raised in Jamaica and being of a Jamaican heritage. So, you know, what do you say to people who are feeling this aggression about why they have the need to identify as more than um, black and and identify their Caribbean heritage because some people are really struggling with and then how do you deal with those people who come at you very aggressive about you choosing yeah. to identify they're as Caribbean themselves they're struggling with themselves mm. you know it, it's it's a type of insecurity that you know get to know me I want to get to know your story you know your experience as a black person from where it is of equal value to my experience, right? So um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to, um, I'm not trying to down you. I'm just trying to uplift me and I want to uplift you. I want to celebrate you. I want to love you. I want to learn about you. I want to be inspired by you because you have a value that is different from mine. Yeah. Same melanin in the skin, same percentage, right? You, you, may, you may like collard greens. I like kalo. Yeah. I, I, I like, um, I like plantains. You like, um, you may like, um, mofongo, you know, I, I like, um, I like cassava. You, you like yuca. Mm -hmm. I like, um, escovitch fish. You like, um, catfish. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, 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 a unfortunately our education system and even our media does not do a good job of of um, sharing the full story of what it means to be black in the world, period, right? You know, we have these negative um, images and um, negative things that, that don't tell, tell our full story. And, and unfortunately, the culture in America, including the census, um, you know, forces us to check a box when in fact, when in fact the, the box does exist, but the full story of the box is not told. It's not told at all, you know, right? You know, so um, when you have a Harry Belafonte or a Stokely Carmichael who, who are obviously black, contributing to the black struggle and the black experience, um, it wasn't really that important that they were from Trinidad or Jamaica. They were, they were expressing their, the power of their blackness and what it meant to them. Um, so it just depends on who you come across. Um, I, just, I just try to help people to to tell their story and to share their story and hopefully that they'll they'll appreciate mine mm -hmm. not about to um sequester my existence for someone else's comfort mm, i like that you know on a previous episode i was interviewing um someone else and they're like we're not trying to separate we're trying to celebrate um especially you know, um, in a world where your identity is identified by race, but you come from a culture where it's not so much by race. It's like, yeah, you have the social, you know, categories of group. It is socioeconomic. So it's, it's, it's all the more why people want to celebrate their culture because, you know, this identity of race, while it exists in your island or your community, it's, it's not the, the center focus. Yeah. So, um, have you dealt with 
um, any backlash from identifying as Caribbean? Or is it just inherent because you're in Florida? It's somewhat kind of, you know, people are like, um, yeah. No, not really. Not directly. I, I'm sure there, there are some folks that, that, that um, may, may, may whisper and, um, and talk about it. But, but I think if, they, if they've known me and seen me um, out in the community, you know, I've, I've conducted myself in a way that, that um, does, not, does not belittle or demean any other, any other culture, even, even non-Black people. You know? So this, it's just not something that a Marlon Hill will do. Mm. So, um, and if they do, they're just, they're just, they're just coming at it um, in the wrong way at the wrong time and, and at the wrong person. Um, you know, but you know, I try to conduct myself in a way that, that helps people to understand what, what our shared experiences are um, of people of color, irrespective of language or, or heritage. Um, and then I try, to, I try to use that as my GPS as to, as to how I make decisions on the things that I get involved with, right? So um, most people of color, um, and I hate to generalize, but, but if you look at the statistics across the country, we have some of the same challenges, right? Mm -hmm. You have um, access to job and business opportunities in terms of access to financial resources. Um, many people of color are challenged with that. Um, you have um, you have challenges with you know, affordable housing and or healthcare statistics are across the board. Where, you know we share experiences there. By the same token, we have a number of things that we are successful at. You know you have you know many black millionaires across the country. We have a number of people that um, that own small businesses. Um, we are more philanthropic than most communities. Um, there, there are a lot of things, Carrie Ann, that many times when we look at our community, we look at it from a, um, a negative lens as opposed to what assets and what value we bring to society. And I, I, I prefer to celebrate our assets and the, the value of our contributions more often than not, um, rather than to focus on these divisive or negative conversations about being different or I am choosing to acknowledge that I'm black. Obviously, I'm black. I am black. Yes. <laughs> I'm a black man of Jamaican descent. That is a unique. If you're a black man of Brazilian descent, if you're a black man of Costa Rican descent, if you're a black man from South Carolina or black woman from Brooklyn or a black woman from Toronto, you have a specific experience that you can share that people can learn from. Absolutely. All right. So as we wrap up, I'd love to get your thoughts on opportunities where um, people like myself and others could, you know, we talked about a social entrepreneur and a really great opportunity to help with the acclimation. You know, what are some other opportunities that you think, you know, young people or anyone else who is interested can just see it as an opportunity to do something for the community? Oh, the menu is so extensive because um, I'm, I'm taking notes <laughs> the, the, the menu is so extensive first and foremost you got to know yourself right and you have to really um pay attention to the things that excite you and that you're passionate about and that the things that upset you um or, or the types of um, things that inspire you right those are the things that you you make a choice of the things that you get involved with many people may ask you to get involved with certain things and when the decision to say yes or to say no is that it has to intersect with your personal and professional life in order it, for it to make sense, right? So I am a business lawyer and I do a lot of work in the entertainment, arts and culture, hospitality industry. So 
I represent cultural organizations. I represent DJs. I represent creative people. I represent the Jamaica Tourist Board. Um, I, I do things that, are, that intersect with my professional and personal life. Um, and those things make it easier for to decide whether to say yes or no. Organizations, there are a number of nonprofit organizations that, that when you are part of a nonprofit organization and you serve on the board, you are bringing your value to the table, right? So you gotta be very selective as to organizations that may be out there. It could be a public interest organization. It could be social, cultural. It could be education related. It could be environment related. It could be creative arts related. It could be sports related. These nonprofit organizations need brilliant, passionate, motivated people to drive their mission or impact, right? Um, but it has to be in sync with where your life is. Where do you work? Do you have kids? Um, live? Um, those are platforms that you choose to get involved with. Yeah. On the other level, you have um, the public sector where you may live in a particular city. Are you going to city hall meetings? Um, various city councils and county commissions appoint various boards and task force on many, many issues. They're looking for people who have an interest and a passion for those things to be appointed. You can get involved there. Obviously, you could decide to run for office um, on a local level, uh, city commission, and that, that's, a, that's just a different platform for being involved, right? So the menu is curated depending on who it's curated for. And for, you know, you know, so you are unique, you are a special person. You are not like your neighbor across the street or your coworker or um, the person that's sitting beside you in the pews. You have to figure out what it is that is important to you, inspires you, and then you make a decision to put in your time and your talent. There are three things that you put in, time, you put in your talent, and then you put in your money, right? Three things that I tell people all the time that you make a decision to make an impact, meaningful, purposeful, intentional impact involves those three things. Um, when you're not working and you're not taking care of yourself, are you going to give your time to that organization? If you have a special skill, when are you going to give your talent to that, that organization, and that platform? And lastly, we all have a limited budget unless you are independently wealthy like Mr. Bronson or, or Tiger Woods or wherever. You don't have, we don't have a bottomless pit of extended wealth, so you have to make decisions as to who you donate to. And we don't do enough of that in yeah. philanthropy. Or if you donate to a candidate, even if it's $5, $10, are you putting your money where your mouth is? And some people can give $10, but some people can give $1,000. And that's when you really see a community becoming integrated, is when we start to invest in our permanent participation and engagement in that particular city or community that you're a part of. Mm. When you start to buy property and to buy shares or to donate to a candidate or organization, that is, that's when you see integration starting to make an impact. Mm. I Although love it. Spectator. Yeah, I, I, I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm so inspired by this conversation because, you know, a lot of times, and as most Caribbean people said, or, or, or like you said in the article, you know, we have to move from being veranda politicians and, you know, spectators and decide to wade in the water, you know, you know, jump Yeah, off. and the, the remote control of the MSNBC and the CNN is, can only have so much pontification. I mean, how the brilliance that comes from these veranda conversations. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I have an uncle, you know. 
Huh? I have an uncle, and I tell you, he he lived for MSNBC, and he got toe to toe with the TV talking to his favorite Rachel Matt. Like he toe to toe with her on it, and nobody else but me and the people in the house hear him when he. Yeah, man, he needs to take that out in the community. He could get involved with the Republican Party or the Democratic Party or some other social organization that is making an impact. And I'm positive that your uncle has some time and talent and resources that could make an impact. We are, we have passed the timeline of spectating in the grandstand. It's time for us to get down in the, on the field and the battlefield and really start moving the needle on things um, right now. Our community, time has passed. Time has passed. But at the same time, there's a little fear there, you know, there's a little fear because you feel like, boy, you know, who am I? I'm not qualified. I'm not a lawyer. Find a friend, friend. make yourself vulnerable, go out, you know, know, walk your toe and, you know, release that pride. Marlon, you know, me not able for nobody say nothing to me, you know, because, oh, you know, like the fear of you know, the anticipation of what you feel like people might react to or, you know, when you think of the harshness of politics. And I think that alone and also reality, you know, you know, you, most people grow up in Jamaica and are familiar with politics in terms of the violence and it, there's a apprehension about going into politics for you should you know. never be afraid of politics in fact politics should be afraid of you mm. you should mm. be afraid of politics politics should be afraid of you and if you are going to be afraid of politics then you may end up on the menu wow you don't want to be on the menu right because people are people are gravelicious and they will take everything that they can get for themselves without without sharing or making you a part of the process so try your best yeah, everybody I grab all the bull and cheese, bun and cheese to themselves and mm-hmm. you know and get none. Wow, mm-hmm. Marlon, thank you so much for being on the show. Any last thoughts, any last advice for anyone listening about, you know, whether it's their identity and how they navigate this world with their identity or, you know, pursuing public service. Any last thoughts? Yeah, I think I think it's very important that we talk to our kids and our young people about who they believe that they are wherever they are and, and try to help them to have a, a self of um, a sense of identity and awareness of who they are and, and, and more importantly to, to embrace and to love their the value that they bring to their community. And then um, we need to make ourselves available, more of us, more of our organizations. There are many nonprofit organizations in our Caribbean community that are suffering from a generation gap. Mm. That uh, these organizations are going to die unless there is there's more communication with pipeline of all the young people that are coming up, right? So we need to provide a, a, a more meaningful and purposeful support system for each other, um, which this is going to allow us to have a greater impact. Um, and if you know if there's any young person or even any person that's been here a while now that is looking to figure out how they can change the trajectory as to what their impact is. You know, I'm available, you know, you know, through this program, you know, send me a note. Let's talk it through um, as to how, you know, is it helping you with, to apply for your citizenship? Is it helping you understand government in a better way? Is it, is it identifying a resources out there that you may not have thought about? The, most, the last thing I would say is that you have to make a decision that turn on the light switch that I, I want to make a bigger impact for my community. I recognize and I humbly say that I don't know how and I need help because I want to 
I want to be more purposeful. I want to be more impactful. And there are relationships and people out there that, you know, we are there to support you. All it takes is one, two, three, or four, or five more person to magnify themselves in terms of their impact. And you, you'd be surprised what can happen when that occurs, when that spark occurs, right? Mm-hmm. I'm seeing this opportunity to run for this county commission. It's going to be a spark where there may be, there may be a person of Caribbean descent or Jamaican descent or a person that's black or a young person, or they may not even have no connection to my heritage, but they may just be inspired by what it is that I want to accomplish. And if I can help to spot them into action, big things can happen. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's this, this thing you, you can't be what you can't see or um, you, you want to see other people attempting or trying to be in that role for you to see what's possible or for yourself. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, check me out at marlonhill.com. Um, follow the, follow my journey, which will be happening until August 25th, 2020. And we will see whether or not what we shared on this carry on program here has any, has any real time historic, um, impact. We'll be rooting for you, Marlon, for real. And I'm, I'm, I'm so energized and, you know, inspired by this conversation and, you know, I hope everyone listening is too, you know, inspired, you know, to act, you know, um, we, inspiration is, you know, you could, after you get off that high, we, we need to, we have to convert that energy into movable activity. And um, thank you again, Marlon. And as I like to say at the end of the show, walk good. Yes. Big up yourself. You've been listening to Carry On Friends, a show about the Caribbean American experience. We post new episodes every two weeks. And if you want to learn more, buy merchandise, or sign up for our newsletter, check out our website, carryonfriends.com. You've been listening to Carry On Friends, a show about the Caribbean American experience, produced by Breadfruit Media. We post a new episode every two weeks on Tuesday. And if you're looking to learn more, buy our merch, or sign up for our newsletter, check out carryonfriends.com. Or... Find us on all social media platforms at Carry On Friends.